Hey dudes and dudettes, and what is going on? Welcome to episode number 39 of the Lepressed and Guest Podcast. My guest today is Rachel Larrabee. Rachel returns and comes back on the podcast to discuss her progress in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Last time Rachel was on the pod, she talked about beginning and being overwhelmed with her first day of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu practice. She talks about that and how she has been progressing through the belt system. Rachel and I also discussed one of her other passions, health and fitness and personal training. Be sure to follow her Instagram in the episode descriptions below. Thank you to all my friends, family, listeners, and everybody who supports the La Preston Guest Podcast. I am so grateful for all of your support and feedback along the way. And last but certainly not least, as always, a special thank you to the brave men and women of your United States military for without your dedication, bravery, and sacrifice, none of us would be able to do what we love doing. I am forever and always in your debt. meeting is being recorded we are live you still got me awesome what kind of yogurt you snacking on right now it is oikos triple zero it's 15 grams of protein did we talk about how was it with you i was talking about how i've only tried three different types of yogurts uh three flavors it was blueberry didn't like it strawberry (laughs) and strawberry banana which i contend is really just another strawberry no, strawberry banana is different. The banana gives it a, a little extra. Okay, so is this a you? You just got done with a Brazilian jiu-jitsu practice, right? Some rolling. Yeah, sure, I did. Excellent. Literally was, just got home. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Is this a typical post-workout snack for you? Yep. Um, usually a yogurt or um, <clears throat> um, Fair Life makes a really good protein shake. Mm-hmm. Like the pre-made ones. Yep. Um, I usually will try to get a good high protein after any workout. Usually I'll try, but it doesn't always work out that way. So you've also been involved in the fitness world for so long and you've got a wealth of knowledge. Is there like a baseline of what is considered a high threshold of protein? Like what do you consider a high threshold of protein? Um, to kind of put it in simple terms what I usually like if a client was to come to me and ask just like a regular person relatively active maybe has an office job Mm -hmm. I tell people to shoot for one gram per pound of body weight shoot for it it's hard Mm -hmm. to achieve um so let's say you're 150 pounds which is moi um even myself who's you know I'm really cognizant of what I'm eating and I have good sources I'm not hitting 150 every day on a good day for sure but like eh. so if you weigh 150 pounds and you're getting 100 grams of protein like you're doing fine mm-hmm. do you do any protein shakes yep okay um so the fair life ones that I mentioned are really good they're a little expensive because like I said they're pre-made but obviously I'm super busy all the time so they're handy for me. And then I actually was drinking like a vegan protein for a long time because mm-hmm. I'm a little bit lactose intolerant and whey is really heavy on your stomach. So um, it was Green Beret by Redcon 1. And I believe it's like a pea-based okay. protein. And that one did very, it did pretty good for me. 
Okay, so it's funny you mentioned that because the reason I don't eat yogurt anymore is because I think I do have a lactose deficiency, kind of like yourself, and I've just never been able to drink a glass of milk. The only time I've ever consumed milk was in um, a Saco morning announcement uh, down at Saco Cove, and uh, that's just a uh, that's just Lord of the Flies, basically. If you know anything about our <laughs> summer camp, so uh, I, I did what I had to do to survive. But I noticed as I started getting older, I did worse and worse consuming dairy. I'm okay with cheese, but anything else I can't do. And like you said, I think whey and lectin, I've never been able to find a protein powder, whether it's I've had vegan protein powders, muscle milk, just all types, every kind you can. And I've mixed it with oat milk, almond milk, water, regular milk. I've, I've done it every different way. My body cannot process it. So that right there is it's it's tough to get a lot of protein in just because my body can't have like a liquid form of it like a protein shake whey is god awful it's like it's it's not a bad supplement that is not what i'm saying if you can handle dairy i can't stress enough drink whey it's such a good way to get a high protein snack but for people like ourselves it's just dense it's it's a lot of dairy um fair life is a lactose-free milk Mm-hmm. So it's still milk, so it still might give you a little bit of the bubble guts if you're sure. like really sensitive. But I have never had an issue with it. Yogurt, I don't have an issue with at all. But like you said, if I was to drink like a glass of whole milk, mm-hmm. boy, I'm not gonna feel well. So it's interesting. Up until about uh, 30, I've only had a very small hairline fracture, like at um where my pinky is, close to my wrist. Other than that, I've never broken a bone. And that's what friends would always ask me when I told them that I've never consumed milk. And they ask, oh, how many bones have you broken? And I said, no, I'm me personally, just with conversations I've had with um, friends who are doctors and people who are well versed in nutrition, um, information, nutritionists, dietitians. I'm not convinced that humans uh, should be drinking milk or consuming. Oh, they're absolutely not. The dairy industry did a really good job of lobbying their product. Yeah, it was like when the um, sugar industry convinced us that fat was a real evil and making us fat, not necessarily sugar. Literally. Well I don't want to get too political on it, but if, if you or anybody listening wants to look up something wild, look mm-hmm. up the cheese caves. Ooh. There are literal limestone caves, I believe in Missouri, mm. of just cheese like so like thousands of pounds of cheese interesting because the dairy industry was failing i i can't give you i don't remember it all i'm no i'm no expert i just i remember hearing about all this and i kind of looked into it so there's just caves of cheese caves of cheese wow that's crazy the u.s government bought a shit ton of cheese to like save the dairy industry i want to say in the 80s but I, I don't quote me on that. Some just your classic dairy history. bailout. Literally, that is exactly what mm. it was. But that's why there's government cheese, like people on food stamps and stuff. They get that big block of cheese, like that. Oh, it all why. comes full circle. It mm-hmm. all comes full circle. Look at you! Look at you! You've you've given me a fun little rabbit hole to start going down now. Enjoy that one. It's a weird one. The cheese caves, cheese caves of Missouri. Yep. 
So I think another issue we've been talking about protein, I think another issue is not just necessarily consuming the amount because I've read that across several, um, again, like I, I have similar interests and hobbies of like health and fitness as you do. That's why I love having you on to talk about this stuff. But I've seen it's typically uh, for every pound you weigh, you want to do a, a gram of protein. At a certain point, it's not necessarily the consumption of it. It's how much cost is associated with getting, um, like if you're a guy, um, my in my ideal weight, I'm 175, 180. That's a lot of protein to consume. And the, the cost can get get away from you quickly if you're not careful and conscious about it. For sure. And that's why I say that's it's a rule of thumb. That is not like uh, uh, if we really wanted to break it down to you know, your body fat percentage, and we would look into your daily activity and not just like, oh, are you moderately active? Like we would really break it down to get how many calories a day you're eating. So for simple numbers, you are a grown man who's quite active. So this would not be a good recommendation, but for easy numbers, let's say 2000 calories, we would break that down into percentages and off the top of my head, it's been a while since I've really done anything with this, but I want to say protein is four calories a gram, fat is nine calories a gram, and carbs might also be four, but that's, that's irrelevant. We would yeah. look all of that up to get these mm -hmm. calculations, but we would be looking at more of the percent of your caloric intake versus just kind of winging a gram count mm -hmm. because protein's the hardest part of your day to get. We all get more than enough carbs and we all get way too much fat. What so do you think that's that is? The, the American diet and that's to, to go back on like the lobbying of things. It's just how things were marketed to us and how mm. processed foods work. Um, it's a bummer, but it's a fact. Yeah. High carb foods are really easy to make really easy to make cheaply Cheaper, corn, yeah. wheat, mm -hmm. whereas protein don't come for me vegans, but it's more of an animal based. So production is way harder versus, you know, so much corn and wheat. When you're working with a client is the toughest part about getting them to their, uh, their health, their health and fitness goals. Is it usually the diet? It depends on the goal. My least favorite thing to hear from a, a new client or a prospective client is, I just want to be skinny. That's... Why is that? Because skinny isn't healthy mm. and people aren't naturally thin sometimes. Sure. You know, it's just not necessarily achievable. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody's uh, frame is going to be different. Their genetics, their their family history. There are so many factors that are going to be going into it. And there, and let's be clear, you're not lobbying for anybody to be obese and just morbidly overweight. That's that's not what we want either. No, 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 I, no. I think that is a great distinction of what you make. And um, I I think just somebody who's just so physically fit and just into it to like have that kind of compassion and outlook. And I know just talking with Chloe Brooks, she has like similar focuses and stuff, which is why I love talking to you ladies. Uh, I think you two just kill it in terms of just being a good beacon and lighthouse for information and just making people feel great about themselves through fitness and health. 
she's spectacular to just Y'all two are savages. you two are savages Chloe is bonkers like she is she literally looked at a goal and went i'm gonna do that and mm-hmm. just stepped out there and put the work in and did that yeah not not saying that there it was easy for her that's not no, it she no. saw a goal and she achieved it and that's just like props to her watching it's, her journey through it all has been it's so fun it, it's so fun i'm cheering her on so hard and one thing i noticed and i wanted to talk to you about this too and again i think you and chloe share this one of the reasons it's so enjoyable and it's so easy to get behind the content you two put out is because you two are very real and authentic and you are vulnerable and you are not afraid to share and talk about your downfalls and there's a very human element that it's just so easy to gravitate to for sure she I'll talk about her and then kind of bring it into like how I relate. Mm-hmm. She was so real about, we come from kind of opposite sides of the spectrum where she is kind of that literally as naturally well. Thinner person. Literally. Yeah. And uh, yeah. yeah, she's naturally, naturally <laughs> geographically. We are geographically, also there. And yeah, like you said, she's naturally thin. Gone. So it was really refreshing to see someone be trying to put on weight and mm. and show what that looks like because yeah it's it's one of my least favorite things to hear when clients come in and be like i just want to be thin is it's equally as disheartening when clients come in and be like i can't put on weight i want to get weight on disheartening for different reasons but it's just there are so few people who are real about that struggle and it really alienates people who go through it and it sucks because it is a common problem. Mm-hmm. I, two of my best friends are going through the same, they're actually engaged, which is funny. So they can relate to each other on it. But That's two funny. of my best friends are both kind of in that same boat. They wanna put on weight. They're always trying to put on weight. And then there's me over here who I can bulk up to 180 in two months if I wanted to. Okay. Easy. But if I wanted to lose 10 pounds, bah, impossible yeah there was unfortunately that uh running joke but i think it based on like conversations i've had with our some of our co-workers um when we were at camp was the running joke that had a little bit of truth behind it was at camp um guys seem to always lose weight and they said girl i talked to girls and they're like girls would always gain weight and i was like <laughs> i tried to justify i was like <laughs> We have an insanely long walk to the dining hall. I'm not sure that's helping you out or anything, but that, that's me, you know, I'm sorry. Yeah, the dining hall was right on our side and I only had to walk right across the field from my cabin. So I was just right there all the time. Were you a CIT counselor? I was, I was the royalty of counselors. Yeah. Did you get to go whitewater rafting? Yes. Yes. I, that was really fun. How is that? I mean, cause yeah. it's, it's either Acadia or whitewater rafting. That's a trip everybody wants to go on. Yep. I didn't get to go on Acadia, which is fine. Um, we'll circle back to actually, uh, talking about Acadia, but the whitewater rafting was really awesome. Um, I think it was my second group that I yep. went on it with. Cause that's usually what they do. If, if you're, if your counselors are the same, both sessions, they'll just rotate it. If you are one of the CIT counselors. Yeah. Yeah. And I was lucky. I got to stay in cabin for both. Yeah. So my first session and second session was with CITs. 
Um, but dude, it was it was so fun. Oh. They whenever I tell people, I'm like, yeah, I was a camp counselor, and like, oh, that's cool. I'm like, yeah, my my cabin was 24 16 year old girls, and they're like, what? Yeah, and that's another thing about CITs is because I think for the most part, every year, every age group has two cabins per um girls and boys side. So um, like I forget what grade it would start at, but let's say our camp started at second grade there were two second grade cabins for boys and girls um two third grade cabins on each side and then there's only one final cabin so those two cabins merge into one and it's the one cabin where you could you could have 16 kids you could i think the highest number i heard of was 30 and whether it's we, six we had 24 one session i remember because we had to build an extra bunk bed oh yeah <laughs> Uh, and I don't remember what the other session was. It was Lesks. I mm -hmm. remember we had an empty bed. Um, but I, I, I loved it. I would have wanted nothing less than to have the oldest group. And I made that super clear to all of the, the um, leadership. I was like, please, please. It's so it's so funny how you can kind of see the personalities and like what um, age group they're going to work well with. And and some some people would work well in any age group, but it, there's like a clear like they would stand out in one. And I knew I would always kind of like the way I acted and like my my the way I am. I knew I was going to be Sako, the youngest boys. Oh, yeah, because you're just so good at being goofy. Like that's the mm -hmm. best way to describe people who are good with little kids. Yeah. You're just, you have that just childlike air about you. You can laugh at fart jokes and uh, make funny faces. Yeah. So I was a preschool teacher and oftentimes when I'm dealing with like, especially kids that age, like the three to six age, especially I'm able to relate to them, almost any one of them. And my friends are kind of curious of why it happens. I was like, you know, the one thing I noticed when I was a preschool teacher and camp counselor is kids are a lot smarter than we give them credit for. <laughs> I mean, they do some dumb wild stuff, but especially preschoolers, the way I describe it is just because they can't give me the definition of the word manipulate doesn't mean they don't know how to do it. And they're not starting to figure out how to do stuff like that. They're, they're very savvy and observant. That's how you learn at that age. But um, I think why I get along with them so much is like you said, that childlike almost innocence and aloofness, sometimes that goofiness and they're, they're able to pick up on it. And I think they're like, Oh, he's, he's one of us. He's, he's a five-year-old. <laughs> He's a five-year-old. We're, we're, we're good here. We're safe. That guy gets it. Yeah. So um, how was uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu practice tonight? Tonight was really easy. Uh, I shouldn't say easy. Simple. Yeah. I, the word easy is it's a loaded word. Um, so I, I have a usual partner that I almost always work with, but he mm -hmm. is out of town uh, till next week. So I went in not knowing who my partner was going to be, which is like... I hate it. I hate it because mm -hmm. I'm oftentimes the only girl on the mat. Yeah. So one of two things happen is I don't want to be the girl's partner because she might be better than me, or I don't want to be the girl's partner because I don't know how to talk to girls. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. So the, so the ego can't handle if the girl's better than you. Oh God. Uh -uh. Isn't that going to make you better though, Rach? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh man uh no I, I i totally get it i i completely understand so w w 
what's it like for you being typically the only girl in in this kind of male dominated environment or at least where your gym's at at this point uh i'm pretty comfortable with it when i first started it was awful it was i my first class i literally went out to the car and cried after why if if you it don't was mind so oh god no it was it was so stressful not knowing anything and it was kind of my own fault because I, I went to a class where they were teaching something a little bit more advanced but it was the class that fit into my schedule and blah 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 but um the partner that i had fell into the category of doesn't know how to talk to girls so he wasn't being mean or rude on purpose um but like he didn't talk to me the whole class and like sitting between someone's legs for an hour and not talking is really horrible <laughs> yeah uh and like i don't blame the guy and i don't know i couldn't even tell you what he looked like i don't know if he still goes to the gym or not but um it was definitely really tough in the beginning if it wasn't for my background in strength sports i don't yeah. know if i would have been able to stick stick to it um because I, I had already been the only girl in the room before I knew the feeling and I knew it would go away. Uh, and it, it definitely has. I've made plenty of friends. I'm very familiar with a lot of people. The coaches, you know, they know me. They know I'm not a complete nincompoop. Um, if either of them listen to this, I know I am a nincompoop, but not a complete <laughs> nincompoop. We all are. I know like five things. Mm -hmm. uh, but today was actually awesome. Uh, and a perfect segue into talking about like the, the being the only girl because there was a new girl okay. and uh, she's being introduced to the coach. And I was like, awesome. I'm going to go introduce myself. So she comes and sits down on the mat and I scooted over and I was like, hey, held my hand. I was like, hey, I'm Rachel. I make it a point to introduce myself to, you know, all the new girls. So you, mm -hmm. you have a friend. And she was like, thank you so much. That's so nice. Uh, and we went through some really basic stuff and I let her do a lot of the drilling because it's stuff that it's good for me to drill and go over and know, but I know it. So I, you know, kind of gave her the chance of getting used to just being on top of a person and putting pressure on a person and pushing them and, and that kind of stuff. Um, but it felt really nice to kind of help somebody not have a first class experience like I had. Yeah, I've only done three classes. I've, I've been at it for about a month and my company just moved and I'm about to start picking it up more, hopefully. I'm trying to shoot for at least once a week and just slowly start making my way. But I got in because I, I've always been a fan of it. And my one of my old coworkers when we were working at Papa John's now works at one of the gyms in the area. And so I'm able to get his friend and family discount other Otherwise, I probably wouldn't be able to. Yeah, it, it significantly it made it very reasonable for me to do this, Jim. Um, he's about I'm 6'1", 175, 185 pounds typically. He's about five five, five six, maybe 140 pounds, soaking wet with a brick in his pocket. I was so, and he's I, I think he's a blue belt, which is very impressive. You know, just just sticking with it, just for months at a time, let alone getting to blue belt is impressive in my book. I was so utterly defenseless against him and he was taking it. I couldn't, he was probably at the lowest gear he could possibly go. And I could not do shit about it. And that's, that's part of what makes me want to keep going back is I saw against him who 
if I just randomly met him on the street, I would think just on size alone that I'd be able to handle him if it came to a physical altercation, but I had no shot against him. It, it was a very humbling experience. Jiu-jitsu is crazy like that. I, I, all the grappling sports, you know, judo, wrestling, any of it, um, people really they shit all over it because it, it looks funny. You look funny. I yeah. will just put that out there. You look goofy doing mm-hmm. it. But if you really understand how to, you know, subdue a person and, you know, let's say we're fighting and if you you're way bigger than me, chances are you're going to get that takedown just because you're bigger. Well, I know how to frame and I'm going to push up against your throat and your hips. And just that alone is going to give me so much space to just scoot out from underneath you, get a back take, get an arm, whatever it is. And if you don't know that, you know, there's nothing you can do about it because you not, or anybody not knowing how to fight, just get on top, be heavy, be on top of them. And in essence, yeah, that's what you want to do, but you also want to protect your, your limbs and Mm -hmm. protect your neck as a Wu-Tang clan once said. Yeah. It ain't nothing to fuck with (laughs) to to build on the Wu-Tang, to build on the Wu-Tang. Great reference. I love that. Appreciate you. Just, I'm going to just I go ahead and put, every time throw it up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Every I wish this was video and everything. Protect your neck. God, if everybody could just, I got to get this on video. That way, when people see us throw up the Wu Tang, they'll be like, oh, <laughs> the streets chose these two. I get it. I get it. They're going to be like, huh, white people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So, how long have you been practicing? Uh, I started, it's actually just over two years is when I started. Congrats. Um, thank you. And when I started, I was very inconsistent. Like I said, I was very afraid and, and didn't go to class all that much, but through a funny coincidence, I met a girl at my gym that I used to teach a cycling class at. And I mentioned that I do jujitsu. She's like, oh my God, my husband does jujitsu. You guys are about the same size. I'm going to give him your phone number. You're going to be partners. And I was like, okay. So I showed up to the gym, not knowing this guy. And we like, couldn't tell if we were who we were. So we're like looking at each other, like sizing each other up. And I think he came up to me. He's like, I'm Alex. And I was like, good, good. I'm Rachel. Um, which budded a beautiful relationship. We're still friends. Um, Leanna, his wife, is uh, they're both really good friends of mine. But then he was my partner for probably a good six months. And we went every Tuesday, Thursday, just for gi class. So just a one hour class. And then I ended up moving. But at that point, I was comfortable enough to go without having a partner. Uh, and from then on, I would say pretty consistently every Tuesday, Thursday. And then I started going for two hours at a time this past summer. And now I've got two stripes. Woo! That's fucking rad. <laughs> Congratulations. That That is Thanks. so cool. And again, because we've been like chatting back and forth, and I think I've just told you is like all, all three of my classes, it has just been an hour of me getting mauled. And you were like, that's pretty much the first year. Yeah, that still happens, still happens now. So I, I, it's just, you have to get there. And it, again, it's like just knowing that you're just going to be in for like years and years of just getting your ass kicked a lot, a lot of times, you it know, it's better. You're it getting your butt kicked. Yeah 
in a better way that sucks less. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you start understanding more why you're getting your butt kicked and hopefully yeah. it can prevent the butt kickings. It's the worst when you know why, but you can't figure out how to make it stop. You're just like, everything is awful and I'm stupid. So I, again, I find it so interesting and compelling that you tend to get, you tend to gravitate towards what people would deem like a lot of male dominated fields and hobbies what is that like for you as a woman going into something like strength training and weightlifting and Brazilian jiu-jitsu? Do you, do you sometimes like almost feel like you're doing it for more than yourself at times? For sure. For sure. More so with the, the weightlifting. Um, it's to take up space is uh, a, a girl that works out at the gym that I work out at. I, find her extremely inspirational. Meg, if you watch this, it's you. <laughs> Shout out, Meg. What up? Uh, she's awesome. And she she says that all the time, like the take up space. And that's a big thing for me, especially now that I'm extremely comfortable in, in the strength community. I would be more than confident to walk into any gym. And with my knowledge, maybe I won't be the strongest person in the room, but that doesn't matter. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm there to get done. Um, but anywho, uh, I a lot of the content that I post now, like you said, Chloe's the same way, very real. I post it because it makes me laugh, number one. If I'm not making myself laugh, what's the point? Um, secondly, it's if I can make one person have a thought of maybe I can do that too, that's enough. That's enough. Maybe she'll never do it. Maybe she'll never go. But if she thought for a minute she could do it, hell yeah, mission accomplished. I love that you are just aiming for for one because I think we can get so caught up myself, especially in the large numbers of trying to impact and do what we're doing at such a large scale. I remember my favorite part of staff orientation week at camp was hearing Brad speak. I think Brad is a phenomenal public speaker. And I often like will reach out to him because I'm trying to, you know, become a public speaker, do podcast, stand up comedy. That's kind of the route I want to go. And he talked about this one story about how the ocean, this one beach got covered with a lot of starfish that were turned upside down and needed to get back into the ocean. And this kid just goes by one at a time and just starts putting them back in the ocean. And some adult comes up to the kid and is like, Oh, you'll never make a difference in all of these uh, starfish on the beach. And he picks up one, puts it in the ocean. He's like, I made a difference to that one. And just one at a time. And that's, that's all he was trying to do. I want to start, I have this idea. I want to start a foundation called one domino. And the whole concept is that to get any like, stack of dominoes to fall you got to start with that first one and i'm just trying to impact one domino so hopefully let's say i impact you you can impact someone else and they impact and then that domino chain and rally just starts happening on its own and it does that's uh what i with the words that pop up in my head talking about this you may not be able to change the world but you can change someone's world oh that's so sweet that's my quote. That was my quote that I brought. But all right. All right. I, so I, perfect. I, I love it. I love, and that's, I, I think I've like, hopefully I've communicated that in the email. I was like, um, cause Smitch did the same thing. He's like, I don't, he's like, I don't know if I, 
he's like, I want to wait till the end, but it seems so perfect. I was like, rip it right now, man. If it's perfect, just go. <laughs> if it's better at the end, that's fine. And we'll circle back to that again. Cause I want to uh, close with that. It was so great, but um, whew, getting a little, that was that was very emotional and touching. That was awesome, Rachel. It, it's it's a really emo. It gets me all like tingly because I I think about it all the time. But like you know, when you say something out loud versus thinking it in your head, it makes you feel more. But it's I think about it every day. So since we talked last, I actually have a new job. I'm just I'm an office manager at a PT clinic, awesome. but. Um, it gives me the opportunity to really advocate for patients a lot. Mm -hmm. We're a small clinic. We're actually based in Georgia. Oh, nice. Nice. Hilarious. Are you making the move? Uh, no, no, probably not. No, no worries. But the, no worries. The, the offices are in Fayetteville, Marietta and Roswell. I oh, think. you're in Scarietta. Yeah. So I don't know if you remember like people like me, Will Stone, Peaches would uh, do that. That's where we were from. We're, we're from Marietta. That's really funny. That's really funny. I, again, a memory that was deep in the back that I didn't even know that I had. But once you said that, I remember. You yeah. Most, it. as much as we said it and as uh, stupid as it was, most people rightfully so buried it to the back of their mind. Just <laughs> trying to forget it. I'm sorry for uh, bringing up all, all, all bad memories. Uh, it was always funny if that makes you feel any better. I wasn't in on the joke, but it always made me chuckle. Well, um, so the thing is, people started coming up to us and asking. They were like, so how bad is Scarietta? Because we they knew it was Marietta and we would just call it Scarietta. And we're like, honestly, it's the ideal place to raise a family. <laughs> like you couldn't ask it's, for it's a beautiful place, you, you know, middle to upper middle class. Most of it. Good school systems. Um yeah, very fortunate to grow up. We got some bad areas, but it's we're we're very fortunate. It is the furthest thing from Scarietta, but we just did it because you know. But that's just, why I joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a bunch of you know preppy white kids wearing LL Bean and polos and stuff, <laughs> acting harder than we are. You know. Oh gosh, the self awareness is important. Yeah, yeah. I, again, just the streets. The streets shows us. You know, I'm not going to apologize for that. You know, I'm not going to apologize for being raw. But anyways, our, our wonderful side note about Marietta, shout out. Yeah. Uh, um, we're a one-on-one -on -one clinic, which it's not super common for PT. Most people that have ever gone, you know, you're with, you know, your, your therapist, maybe they have an assistant and there's a few other patients at the same time. Oh, okay. I, I was thinking it was like rotating different team members each week or something. Yep. No, we are completely one-on-one. -on -one, so it's a full at, at least hour. Some patients come for three hours at a time. Um, we focus on neuro. So we see some people with some pretty considerable deficits. We have a lot of um, cerebral palsy patients. We have Parkinson's um, so, you know, it, it's a little bit more uh, intensive than, than your regular, you know, I broke my arm and I need to get my arm a little stronger, which I'm not saying that that's not important. That's not what I'm saying. Sure. We're just more intensive. Yeah. Um, so we don't have a huge patient load, which gives me the opportunity to kind of get to know the patients, mm. um, their situations and all that. And uh, I have literally called insurance companies and been like, how dare you uh, deny this six-year-old with cerebral palsy a new wheelchair? 
and just like ripping into insurance companies and like, well, how are we going to fix this? How are we resubmitting this? What are we going to do? Because you are going to come up with a plan with me. Um, and it's, it's the, the words that play in my head. I might not be able to change the world. I'm not going to change the awful medical system that we have here, but I might be able to change that kid's world. I might be able to get that person who works at an insurance company to maybe fudge the rules a little bit the next time a case like that comes through. Yeah. Oh, man. It's so crazy the way we as humans in a society allow other people to live. I mean, especially children. You know, it's it's just so heartbreaking. And I, I was somebody who grew up... Um, just just behind the starting line you know i talked to my therapist all the time and i was like you know if if you think of life almost like a boat race it's when the opening gun went off my my boat immediately got a hole in it and i said i feel bad though sometimes because some people don't even get the boat they don't get paddles you know it's it's that's what frustrates me when people who oftentimes are fortunate enough to come from a good family a good house have resources and other advantages and they talk about people like with the old adage and saying, oh, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And it's like, my friend, some people aren't getting the boots, you know, let alone the straps. It's just right. that's awesome. But some people don't have the arms. Yeah, it's 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 congrats. You beat me in a hundred meter race. My 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 race was one hundred twenty five meters. So like we weren't we weren't running the same race, you know. Right. It's the world's not as equal as we all wish it was. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you don't need to pay for my way or, you know, just be a parent the entire time. But I mean, geez, just resources, empathy, sympathy, compassion, um, just advocating for fellow man. I am. Um, I struggle with it all the time, Rachel. I am. Um, I very much believe in um in a capitalistic society, but. I, I just yeah, it's just sickening there's, knowing that there's, media, there's gray area. There's sure. there's places to meet in the middle. You know, there's, there's one thing of handouts and everyone gets the same and, and, you know, communism versus some social programs. Yes. You know, Medicare, Medicaid, like, again, I'm not here to sit on a soapbox and get political, but these are people that need it. There are profoundly um, disabled uh, patients at my clinic and without that, they they would just die. They would just cease to exist. They would sit in a corner and just stare at a wall. And so they deserve that because why? Like, what? why can't we help them out with the society that we have built? Like, why is it a blight on society to get this kid a wheelchair? I know it's, it's crazy. And again, knowing that just so much of the wealth and resources are just, um, between so few people, like the, the 1%, you hear it all the time. And again, I, I struggle with it because I, I don't want just a completely, like you said, communist or socialistic society. You know, I think there definitely need to be social programs and socialist style programs for sure. But I believe, um, I, I think it's a pipe dream thinking that, everyone's just going to work together in this Hakuna Matata way. And we're just all going to pull our weight. No, that, that that's not realistic. We know that's not realistic. And I think what drives me crazy. And if I had to just, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but people like maybe you crazy and like all my guests that I have on is that 
we don't operate in that gray area. I, I think life is just 10% black, 10% white, and the 80% is so much gray area. There's so much on we don't understand or we fail For to sure. see. You're absolutely right. And, and the example that I'm giving of a little kid that needs a wheelchair is definitely in that black and white area. Yeah. The gray area of... Those situations do exist. Right, right. But there's, there's so much other in-between stuff. I mean, to use myself as an example, I had Medicaid... I got it sometime in college, so maybe like 2017, uh, up until like very recently, I want to say right before COVID maybe, but I would call myself that gray area where I was a student. So what was I supposed to do for insurance and the way that my parents' insurance worked and stuff, I, I couldn't get my insurance through them. So yeah, I am a healthy, able-bodied individual, but am I supposed to give up my whole life to get a crappy job that just has some health insurance or can you give me some Medicaid so I can go to my yearly doctor's appointment. Yeah. And man, I, I wish I was even smart enough to like even offer a half wit solution of like how we can. Oh God. Yeah. I don't have a solution either. God, no. I I mean, there were just, I, it would have to be a cultural and societal shift, I think. And uh, unfortunately we, I think a big issue is I've been talking to Joe Wolf about this is, because we live in a materialistic society and just keeping up with the Joneses and stuff, we always want more and the new thing, the new thing. We can never be happy with what we have more often than not. And so because we got to keep creating new things, we got to keep creating these jobs and jobs and jobs. And man, I bet if we could just stop being such a consumer-based society and just kind of got back to the basics of just focusing on community. That, that That's another thing is there's, it feels like there's no sense of community or you have 20 different communities, you know? I agree. I agree big time. I think about um, the, the human nature of it, mm-hmm. the, the keeping up with the Joneses that you said, how much of that is that deep psychological, I call it monkey brain, mm-hmm. you know, your, your instinct the, the parts of your brain that are working that you don't know are working, your, your subconscious, how much of that is dictating that need for more and to be competitive and blah, 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 because we live in a place where we're not fighting for food and resources, you know, we're lucky that we live in that environment. There's plenty of people in the world who aren't, but, you know, we're talking about that, these first world problems. Yeah. Uh, how much of that keeping up with the Joneses is your subconscious survival brain kicking in mm-hmm. because we're not fighting for food resources and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. <clears throat> and we, there's so many companies that have just like a stranglehold on their market or their product. And if we were able to, again, just be more local with the way we shopped you know, I think that would slowly, slow, maybe not in our lifetime, but slowly start breaking up the, 
you know, the power that some of these companies have, you know, I, the monopoly is what it is, you know? Yeah. Again, it's, I don't want government regulation to say that that has to happen, but it's like, basically it feels like the middle class and, and the lower class have to like, it it almost feels like we're in two different boats, you know, between the 1% and the rest of the world. And the problem is, there's a lot fewer paddles in the water making it easier to control as a team effort in, in the 1%. Whereas we just seem so divided. I was talking to Gene Bean, the maintenance director at camp today. Bean. Yep. Oh, Mr. Bean. And I was like, oh, I don't know when this world just became so binary. And what I mean by that is like we were talking about black or white, one or zero, one or zero. We, we apply no gray area to any situation. It's either this or that. We don't think that there could be a gray area or middle area or common ground. I think to kind of steer away from the, the easy black and white topic that we're talking about of the have and have nots, because that, that's easy to call, you know, the 1% and the destitute to just make it more of a broad generalization. Uh, I think a lot of people are black and white because gray is scary. They don't yeah. want to think about that. It's, it's terrifying to think about how you're wrong. Mm-hmm. It's hard to, you know, to really go full circle. The egos of the, the guys on the mat, your ego will drive you to do crazy, stupid things just for the sake of not being wrong and challenging your reality. It's hard and terrifying. It feels like news media and politics have had us so divided. And I believe that most of us are closer to the middle. We probably lean one side or the other, but generally I think we're closer to the middle than we are to the fringes of those sides. But For like sure. you said, it's scary because <clears throat> let's say I'm right, you're left. I, I, I'm not I'm not sure who's who in this situation, but one's right, one's left. It's so hard for the right person to like give that trust and expect the left person to say, Hey, this time we're going to do it this way, but next time, or when, you know, it's so hard for us to trust because we, we live in this climate now where fear is just instilled upon us and we're, we're losing faith and trust in our fellow man. And it feels like we've just been taught to do that. We have no reason to, it seems Right. You, you don't want to concede a point because you don't trust that the next guy will concede his point. You want to die on your hill because he's not going to take my hill, you know? Yeah. Like if you and I just had a blow up or and we've just gotten a fight, you know, it's it takes a lot of courage for that first person to extend the olive branch, because like oftentimes my ego, like you said, I'm worried about it's trying to protect me. It's like, well, what if Rachel doesn't say like own up to her side of it, you know, because very rarely is it just one side, you know, was wrong. Very rarely. A lot of times it's again, gray area to what degree, but it's like, Hey, Rachel, when I said that I was wrong, I I, I was angry. I was frustrated. And I think oftentimes is we expect, which we there's an issue with that because you want the apology to just be genuine and just from the heart and to own up to it. And you shouldn't need to expect for you to say you're sorry back. If I felt you were in the wrong, you know what I mean? But yeah, you want to feel heard and understood. You, 
if we're we're again fighting about politics, I'm left, you're right. You, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a, a really obnoxious left-right issue. Uh, you know, you concede to abortion rights, mm-hmm. for example, but sure. I turn around and I say, "Screw you! I'm still going to ban guns." Yeah. It's like, well, I'm going to stay on my side so you can't get your way where we could meet in the middle. Hey, maybe you're right about that one. Yeah. Maybe I'm right about that one. Yeah. You you don't want to concede anything because you're like, well, you were wrong about this. What else are you wrong about? You know? Yeah. Can I? Am I not able to believe in a woman's choice and the Second Amendment? Right. Yeah. But and you want to feel the in crowd, too. Let's not. That's a whole thing of, um, you know, group thought. You you, your buddy's talking to you about again, we'll stick with this one because it's just easy black and white issues. You you guys are talking about the Second Amendment and I believe in the right to bear arms and blah, blah, blah. Maybe the guy you're talking to says something a little out of pocket about abortion. But you want to stay friendly with this guy. He's your friend and you mm-hmm. really like what he had to say. So maybe you go along and agree with it because you want to stay on the same side. Yeah, I think if you've got a good enough um, relationship with that person, there's enough trust built up. That's that's where you need to start prodding a little bit. And what I mean by that is just kind of asking like why questions, because, again, I just like to get an understanding so I have a better idea of why that person thinks that way. I mean, like but you're still looking at this from the perspective of not giving into your ego. Mm. And that's why you're someone who can look at that gray area and we can mm. have this this conceptual conversation about views and, and why people are so stuck to their black and white. They aren't thinking of it like that. They're thinking of it as black and white he likes a and b i like a i want to keep being on his side so i guess i have to like b too yeah i am um, i try really really hard to look at other people's perspectives and the way they think i um i just most of my 20s and probably most of my life i would argue i was just so horrific at communicating emotionally i i was just <laughs> Um, whatever cliche you want to use about toxic masculinity, I, I just did not know how to communicate my emotions in a healthy way. Um, I would keep them bottled up. And then eventually just the Italian in Philadelphia came out of me and they would just erupt. It was very, uh, and people say, knowing me, they couldn't imagine that. And I would explain to them, I was like, it, it's very rare, but just imagine how friendly and positive and goofy I can be. And then the exact opposite end of the spectrum. Again, very rarely happened, but when it did, it was bad. And I would sabotage and ruin a lot of friendships and relationships because of that. And then when I started like looking into a lot of public figures and stuff, just some of my favorite, especially like male public figures were just these guys who I considered like alpha males, but they were like very vulnerable and in touch with their emotions. And they had no problem crying, expressing discomfort, fear, stuff like that. And it was just like so refreshing to see. And I was like, Oh, I think this is kind of representative of what a man is not just some guy who is athletic, loves cars and just never cries or shows anything, but just stern emotion or toughness. It's, I think a man is just experiencing like, every range of emotion. I, I, you and I talk about bow hunting quite often. I also 
took ballroom dance lessons for about two years. I, I love it all, you know? Yeah. And, and we're doing a good job of circling back to, to topics that we talked about. And that's similar to how like women go through their lives of, you know, this is how I am supposed to be, uh, you know, from a man's perspective, you, you know, you guys are supposed to be very stoic and, you know, you have these cool interests and you don't have feelings and you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Women have, I'm supposed to be soft and quiet and blah, blah, blah. And luckily, I don't know what's going on in my brain. I have never fit that mold. My mom loves to tell me the funny stories of when I was a baby. She would try to put me in, you know, cute frilly things and I would just rip it off. Yeah. I didn't even know the social construct of femininity. And I was like, no. Mm-mm. <laughs> uh, so, you know, just learning how to be yourself in that society, you know, learning how you learned how to be, be a man in your own eyes and what that means. And I learned how to be a woman in my own eyes and what that means. Um, and it's just neat to see that parallel of, of us going through that, awful difficult brain thing yeah necessary you know sometimes um did being a camp counselor especially with the age you were working with did that help you grow as a woman because I felt like the cool thing about being with those youngest boys is it um I think if you're able to rise to the challenge of being a good guardian or caretaker of children the cool thing along the way is they start teaching you more than you actually teach them. And you kind of don't realize it till the whole thing's over, but you've got all these eyeballs on you that look up to you and maybe in some form or another idolize you, or they're starting to maybe figure out whether you could be a role model or someone to look up to. And if you do rise to the challenge, you, you have to show, like I knew growing up the way I was and my emotions, I knew it wasn't healthy. I didn't know how to like get help or ask for help, but I knew I couldn't keep going down that path. But when I was in cabin, I think that's kind of where I first started like questioning, like, is it okay to be vulnerable and be a man? I think what we're taught as men is maybe, maybe a little misleading and maybe not true. Maybe it is okay to express your feelings. Do you, do you think being in cabin kind of helped you grow in that area? For sure. Uh, first of all, that's a really awesome insight and like a really, that's, that's a cool thing to think about because I am not a man. <laughs> and Breaking I news never... on the Lepressing Guest Podcast. Rachel Breaking. Larry, woman. Uh, but uh, so my my life experiences and the way that I see things and everything is is going to be drastically different than yours. And that's just a very interesting thing that you told me that I never would have really thought about. And that's really nice that those little guys gave you that perspective on life. Yeah. So I, I my dad walked out on me. So I'm not sure if we've ever talked about that. I know our first interaction at camp was like super, super heavy and just uh awesome and i think it's laid um laid a foundation for a good friendship which we we still have to this day but it's just uh kind of funny it's like hey how'd you and rachel meet it's like well i was at the mail deck um, we cried <laughs> we cried together we had a good cry you know um but oh, gosh. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, so I grew up without a dad and I, again, I couldn't put a finger on what was 
wrong with me emotionally. And a lot of it was just learning how to express it and maintain it and manage it in a healthy way. But yeah, being with those boys, I slowly started to see kind of, um, you know, through talking with them and stuff like that, it felt like I was kind of like almost parenting myself. So it was very helpful, healthy, cathartic, therapeutic, necessary. Healing the inner child. Yes, yes. The, the good old childhood trauma that so many <laughs> of us get to have. Uh, I grew up very fortunate that I, I had a very good childhood. Um, maybe there's something deep buried in there that happened that I don't know about. But as far as I can recall, my childhood years were pretty good. That's that's the goal. Playing, my parents were pretty present and everything. Yeah. Um, my teenage years, not so great. Uh, so I think I had a very similar uh, experience that you did with kind of healing that I don't want to say inner child because mine was more of an adolescent situation, but, but getting to be a teenage girl again, kind of, because you're in cabin with these kids and, and you really, you're interacting with them on their level. Yes, you are the role model and the person in charge, but you know, you're sitting on that bunk bed and they're telling you about the boys that they think are cute on the other side of camp. And and you're doing, you're doing the teenage girl thing again. Um, Just like, you know, I'm sure you had plenty of conversations that really brought you back to being six. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it was just so fun. Again, just like the mornings with Sako and that the, the mad libs uh, with them at the end of the night where we're just circled up in cabin and mad libs and just that age boy, like, I think my in cabin, I typically had the nine-year-olds, I think nine and tens that I had the older, the oldest age group of Sako. And every single, like they would try and do like fart for everything. It's like, all right, we, we, we get it. We need an adjective fart. No, that, that's not an adjective, but put it in anyways, put it in anyways. Well, it, that's not really how the rules of English and grammar work. You know what, what you're doing right now. It's, it's not applicable. I just want to let you know, I need, I'm putting it in there because you're the camper, but I need to let you know, you're going to do quite horrific in English class. If you keep this up. All right, pal. So straighten it up. This is grammatically incorrect, but we're here to have fun. So I guess I'll let it slide. This is 2015 folks. Grammarly wasn't, wasn't quite as popular yet. <laughs> and we had a no electronic policy so they were screwed either way <laughs> you had no way to solve this problem yeah. um, like i remember one time uh two of the kids wanted one of our campers to um it was so sweet because they're still like looking out for each other at that age and he didn't come to a social he didn't go to the dancing part of the social he stayed at the downies so when we get back to cabin they're like Hey, Bobo, he signed a contract saying that he would go um, to the next social. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. And they're like, hey, to make it legally binding, we ripped it up. I was like, well, that that's actually not how you make it legally binding. It, one would argue it's actually the opposite. You, you just, <laughs> you've just nullified the contract. They're like, oh, no, no big deal. We'll just draw it up again and sign his name. I was like, now we're getting into another set of legal issues that are just compounding. It. And this is what happens when you get into this criminal lifestyle is you just start compounding your mistakes. It escalates. We- and then all of a sudden you're forging documents. We got to go clean. We got to go clean right now. Okay. No more ripping up contracts and forging them again. Okay. <laughs> You'll never get oh. to Allegash. Oh God. Allegash and Baxter. Oh, I, I, just feel, 
I think it takes a special counselor to be that because it just feels like, I mean, it kind of is the middle child. It feels like oftentimes with those groups. It literally is. And just that age group for people who don't know, um, Allegash and Baxter, what was it like 12 to basically like middle school, like their last year of elementary school or something. Yeah. Yeah. So like middle school age, we'll just, what an awful time to exist. I wish they would get rid of middle school and junior high, like as a school system. I would rather have, if it's three years, I'd rather have two more years of elementary school and one more year of high school. I think but you the- can't because they are that weird, not high school, not elementary school. Well, there's some schools that I don't know if they're a thing up north, but there's some schools down south, uh, down south. Sometimes they're private schools and probably smaller um, um, like overall student population, but they'll do K through 12 in one school. Yeah, yeah, that exists for sure up here. Like you said, smaller schools, private schools. Um, I think it's got. I don't know. I think like you said, though. important. It's awful. It's god awful. But it's it's a part of growing up. It's that transition period of you're not a kid, you're not a teenager, you're just yeah. twelve. <laughs> yeah. So middle school stinks because. <clears throat> You have more responsibility than elementary school kids, but you have the same amount of freedoms. See, my middle school wasn't quite like that. You, it was basically like you were in high school. You were just, so our school was connected. You went to an elementary school that was separate. There was two different elementary schools. We were a, a, a merged district. Okay. Um, but then you would, there was one middle high school, but we were in different wings. So the high school was literally this half, okay. middle school was this half. We shared a cafeteria and a gym. Um, but uh, we ran, it worked like high school where you would go to your different classes, but it wasn't, everybody had the same class. So there wasn't really electives yet. Um, so it was much more of a transitional period. We did, we didn't have dances, but we had like, we had this thing called a lock-in. Um, you know, we had our own thing going on in middle school where they yeah. really did, they did a really great job of making it a, a transitional period. I just mean that that time in your life is oh, just it's horrible. so awkward and weird. Like you don't know how to just all of it's bad. Yeah, middle, middle school is probably the biggest time period of you literally just it's when you know the least what the hell is going on in life, I feel. For sure. You just got the hang of being a kid and yeah. now you're not a kid anymore. Yeah, because elementary school, you realize I think it's almost like innate that people in elementary school know like this is kind of like the last time of like really being a child, like this next step is like, we're going to take our first step into starting to become young adults and adults, you know, and the people we're going to be for the rest of our life. And again, you just go from that to like trying to start to figure out like adulthood concepts and stuff. And you're like, what, what the hell is going on? And at the same time, you're starting to get pimples and go yeah, through puberty. Like the body growth that and... happens, like, like literally some of your girl classmates come back and you're like, what, what the hell has happened over the summer? What are those things on your chest? Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's um it's a wild time in a person's life. So just God bless those counselors, everybody who who did that. Just yeah. hats off. Yeah, they 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 were doing the Lord's work out there. Like it's hard <laughs> enough being 
It's hard enough being a camp counselor, but I feel I feel those two age groups in particular. And half of me wishes that maybe I would have advocated more to be a Kinio or Baxter. Mm-hmm. But it's just not that's not my vibe. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, what, what I liked about being Sako is because I think I um going to go ahead and invoke uh, Hannah Montana, Miley Cyrus. I got the best of both worlds because I was adventure staff. Most of the activities we did, you could only do if you were Allagash, Baxter or up. So it was nice because I got to chill with my kids in cabin, but then get to like interact with some of the other age groups throughout the day. And that was the fun of my, uh, when I got to do sailing, because mm-hmm. when I was a tennis instructor, I was with just the little guys because I, I, my background was in like PE and whatnot. So I knew mm-hmm. how to do like the kiddo stuff. I wasn't an NCAA champion tennis player yeah. like the other people. Yeah. <laughs> so we played just silly little games and then I would go back to my cabin full of 17 year olds. Yeah. Um, but when I switched to sailing, kind of the same as adventure, I, little ones could do it, but like they weren't really sailing. They just wanted mm-hmm. to be on a boat. Yeah. Um, so most of the people who took sailing were the older age groups. And that's when I really realized that like I had made the right choice in being in Katahdin C- CITs. Um, and not that I'm bad with little kids. I love little kids. They're adorable. Yeah. They're fun to hang out with. Having conversations with them is like top tier. Um, so that's, that's what I think I loved about um like being again being adventure and getting to deal with the older kids is because it's just different conversations and some of those conversations with the rangely kids especially i had the rangely boys there's some real in-depth thoughtful heartfelt conversations that i i wouldn't trade for the world and you you don't know if you'd be able to quite have the same level of conversation with a Sako kid and and that's why you you had asked initially uh if being a camp counselor like helped me connect more with like being a woman. Yeah. Uh, and, and that was a big part of it. Like I said, my teenage years were God awful. I was bullied. I did not fit in just not a good time for me. Um, so it was really nice to get to kind of have all of those interactions that, you know, a normal teenage girl gets to have on top of kind of getting to be like a, a mom kind of to a lot of these kids. Cause I was one of the older counselors there. Yeah. So not only in that I was an authority figure, literally I was one of the only people that was kind of that next age tier up for mm-hmm. them. Yep. Uh, so they did come to me for like a lot of big kid advice, yeah. you know? Um, and I never found myself to be an awfully maternal woman. And I don't know if I'll ever want or have kids, but uh, it made me kind of be like, well, maybe I could do this. Like I can be nurturing, not in the way of like, oh, precious, soft little baby, but like I cared, I really cared and I listened. Um, and yeah. I, I found myself connecting more with the, the oddball kids out, shocking. But, <laughs> um, you know, I, I think that I really did give those kids good advice, whether it really changed their lives or not. It definitely helped them get through camp. Yeah. Absolutely. And I I think if you ever do decide that you would want to be a parent, you've got the main part down is that you're a caring person. You know, you 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 seem to put your heart into people, Rachel, which is a a quality that I um, 
that that transcends anyone. It, you you just really love and value people. It's a tough. Oh, it's not easy. I'm not <laughs> like, believe me, it's I, I think I'm the same way. And it's going to be what drives me to an early grave. Um, caring too much. It's. It's a, like you said, it's just a blessing and a curse. It's it's great because. It feels so nice to get to help these people and do these things, mm-hmm. but like to get a little little Debbie Downer here, the ones that you can't help. Yeah. So it's, I was literally talking to one of my good girlfriends, Lauren, the other day, and we were talking about preschool teaching versus camp counseling. And I was like, it was a different, I had like less of a stress as a camp counselor, even though it was such a hectic job because our clientele were very fortunate and very well off. And they came kind of from the who's who of uh, like a clientele and uh, public figures list. The 1%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The 1% we were taught. We love you. We love you. Um, And uh, the crazy thing was the majority of them were amazing kids. And it really just showed me that, oh, I think most people are good. You know, I I, I think most people are good. And in every walk of life, you're going to have your your few bad actors. But overall, I think people are pretty good um, in any class walk of life. Everybody's really just trying to do their best. Like you said, there are just some people that are just awful. Um, everybody's really just trying to do their best. We don't always do a great job. Sometimes what we think is best is terrible, but very few people have bad intentions. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, I, I, I agree with you on that. I agree with you on that. Oh, man. Yeah, I, I, it, 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 it holds a special place in so many people's hearts for a reason. It's just such a unique, awesome experience. We were fortunate to go to one of the best camps, probably the best camp you could ever work at. I loved it so much. And uh, that I absolutely just fell into. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird. I um, Yeah, everybody's got such a unique journey of how they get to camp. That's one of the cool things about staff orientation. We can just get to know your fellow camp counselors is hearing, uh, hearing how they got there. How did you end up getting there? <laughs> I can't believe we've never talked about this. Yeah, let's let's dive into it if you don't mind. Oh, gosh. So this would have been the summer of my junior year of college going into my senior year. Um, and I was supposed to have an internship in Long Island for uh, PT. but Because you're a Buffalo through. native, right? Yeah, yep. I'm from the area, but my best friend in college lived on Long Island. So I was going to go stay with her family. There's just more opportunity out there, more stuff mm-hmm. going on. Um, and I, I found this internship, yada, yada, yada. It all fell through. I didn't want to get stuck in my two-stop lay hometown for another summer getting nothing done. So I applied to a billion summer camps. Mm-hmm. I had almost no experience with kids at the time. But like I said, I had taken a couple PE classes Um I was very good at sports. So I was like, at the very least, I'll go to a soccer camp and and teach these kids how to play soccer. Well, I got a call back from our lovely camp to be a nanny. Okay. Do you know which family you were going to be working for? I mean, I think they're all great, whether it was a good booze, Brad Brad and Carrie, it was, they were all great. I don't know if you were there when AJ and Marley were there. 
It was for AJ Marley. You were there then. Okay. All right. There we yes, go. It was for them. <laughs> um, and they're, they're great as well too. Oh gosh. Yeah. They were lovely. The interview process. I met them, you know, via zoom and everything. Cause we yeah. were hundreds of miles apart, but yeah. Uh, Just go to Canada for a casual interview. <laughs> Met them, met their kids. Everything was great. It was working out totally fine. Um, but like I said, I didn't have a lot of experience. The girl who ended up getting it had, you know, a lot more experience with nannying yeah. and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But I had interviewed so well. They were like, we would still really like to put you on. You seem really great. Um, you know, you have experience with tennis. So we're always looking for more tennis counselors. There's always a ton of kids that because they have to do tennis. Um, and I was like, yeah, I'm completely comfortable with that. I did play tennis in high school. I actually took the PE, um, like tennis racket activities is what they called it. Cause we did racquetball, tennis, pickleball, and badminton. So mm -hmm. it's totally within my wheelhouse, totally happy to be a, a tennis camp counselor. So off to Maine, I was to go for a summer knowing almost nothing about this camp. I did not know that it is bougie. Yeah. I had no idea what I was getting into. We got a good clientele. Yeah, yeah. So very, uh, some very prominent people, individuals. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. I just thought this was gonna be, you know, rickety camp with muddy lake and and nope, it was not. It was not that. <laughs> and and who's to think the guy you slapped on your last night out you would have uh, done uh, two podcasts with? <laughs> Never in a billion years. Yeah. <laughs> I never would have thought that I would be playing tennis. Like I said, like NCAA champion, like D1 tennis. Oh, the D1. dragon? Uh, the, the dragon? dragon? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, he taught, me, he taught me how to play a bunch of uh, different uh, styles in tennis. And I was like, holy shit. So it's so funny because he's been ballroom dancing too. And I've been following him on Instagram. And we've been chatting back and forth because I think he's like living over... Um, in um in europe now and it's just so funny that diego and i are just carrying on a conversation about ballroom dancing and using like technical terms and everything like oh my god the, the prop you mean, like, man. yeah and uh, he was always in the gym every morning and i think my second and fourth year i did the best about going to the gym and he was just always in there and just such a great human being but he was he was so positive and thought i was stronger than I was. And like, he would be like, all right, Nick, it's your turn. All right, Bobo, it's your turn to bench. I was like, all right, let's, let's get these 45 plates off there. Let's see some, let's see some tens on there. He's like, no, you can do it. I spot you. And I was like, Diego, I can't do it. He's like, no, I spot you. I was like, Diego, please. He's like, get on the bench. I was like, please, man. I just, I'm just trying to be a camp counselor. I want to see my mom one more time. Like, I, I just want to say goodbye to my family. I'm not this strong. This is 250 pounds. <laughs> the most I've ever lifted was 135. I'm out of my Obviously, room. I was always in the gym in the morning, and he was so funny. He was like, You're just so awesome. You're always in here. You're here every day. I'm like, Yeah, man. Yep. So you're doing my best. Yeah, absolutely. And then yep. moving from tennis, like I said, with, with Diego and, and Alex and um, Amy yep. and Alice. There's a couple other people, and I'm really sorry if you listen to those other people and I have forgotten your names, but it's been a long do, time. Do a better job of standing out, other people, okay? Do a better yeah, job. Yeah, come on. Also, I apologize as well. But anywho, <laughs> uh, somebody ended up quitting in sailing. Uh, 
and I was like the least qualified tennis instructor. <laughs> I say that with air quotes. So they asked me, they're like, hey, do you want to go learn how to sail? And I was like, sure, I do. Because I was also lifeguard certified and I had been on the swim team. Mm-hmm. So they were like, yeah, just go figure it out. Being taught by, again, NCAA champions, sailors from Florida University, Florida State. And I was like, okay, this is fine. Yeah. Um, oh, so that, yeah. Was, I think that was that- my road to being a camp counselor. That was um the year, uh, Kate, Kate and John, mainly Kate. Uh, she made me honorary number two in sailing, and that was just like a running joke that was going on. Uh, um, and I think the reason it happened because on um because I was leadership at that point, so I think just the way it fell, I think I was in camp for both S days because leadership, um, we don't have the uh, C or D days off. We kind of kind of however it fell we we can have a little bit more flexibility to a certain extent um uh joe was water ski so um he had to run the boat so like the water ski staff they had um the water ski leadership and waterfront leadership had to be in camp for s days they couldn't have that um but um i just completely lost my train of thought with where i was going you were second in sailing. Oh, yeah. I was uh, second in sailing. And uh, the only reason it happened is because on the Estes, I was joking about second in sailing. And then, like, I went off to, like, check on other activities because leadership were kind of floating around. And then I get a call over walkie-talkie. And um, Kate Goodboo just comes up to me furious. Not furious, but, like, because I told the kids to request me. Apparently, the kids requested, like, to sail with me. Like, so many kids, she's like, I've got people down here fighting over who's going to sail with Bobo. I was like, I told you, Kate, I'm number two in sailing. She's like, just choose a boat and get on it. <laughs> oh, uh, so I, I actually think I went with um, your CIT cabin. I went out there. Yep. So I, was, yep. like, I remember them because I remember they were because we were friends, obviously. Yeah. So we knew that we were friendly with each other. And they're like, you'll never guess who we got to go sailing with this time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. I love those girls so much. They were the best. Oh, they were the gosh. best. I was very, I was very lucky with the group that I had. Regardless, CITs are always fun, but mm-hmm. even other leadership told us like you, you guys really have like a special group coming through this year and and they really were awesome. Yeah. Well, Rachel, I'm so thankful you came back on and just to pinch and spur the moment, just pinch hitter, just subbed in, uh, had somebody else fall through. So thank you so much for coming on. It's always great catching up with you. And I look forward to having you on more and more as much as you'd love to come back on. You're welcome anytime. You know that, right? You just want to see me flex on camera. The rest of everybody, the podcast can't see it, but you see. Yeah. So I'm going to like... what do you mind if I plug your Instagram or do you want to plug your Instagram? Because oh my gosh. I love putting out Heck good yeah, people everybody. because for people who love getting into or want to get into health and fitness, uh, like people like you, Chloe Brooks, I think you guys are absolute must follow. So how can people uh, follow you? You get it by uh, fitness Instagram. It's Rachel dot Lara beast. So my last name is Lara B. Um, mm-hmm. So I turned it into something funny. Yep. But most of and my true. content is Andrew. <laughs> yes, it's all accurate. But uh, my my content is it's, it's a lot of just goofing around. I try to post some relatively knowledgeable stuff. Uh, I mean, if you're looking to really get some nitty gritty information, Chloe Brooks is is much more the way to go. 
But if you are looking for motivation, just ladies out there looking for a, a good kind of gym role model, that's that's my MO on there is I'm just trying to have fun and show that the gym can be fun. It's not scary. It's just you can goof around with your friends <laughs> and yeah. be strong. Yep. And before we sign off, you already plugged it, but what was that beautiful quote you had from earlier to leave the listeners with? You might not be able to change the world, but you can change somebody's world. There we go. Think globally, act locally. Rachel Larrabee, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on. I'm about to sign off, but we can uh, stay in the chat a little bit longer ourselves. Always an absolute pleasure, Nick. Thank you. Anytime someone falls through, hit me up. I'm happy to be here for you. All right. Love you. Bye, everyone. Love you.